right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace. It's uh, great to have you here at the 11 o'clock service. And of course, if you're watching us online right now, if that's the way that you're joining us, special welcome to you. We're glad you're able to be with us as well. And I actually want to start today's message, today's sermon, uh, actually by telling you how I'm going to end today's sermon, how I'm going to end today's message. So I figured I'd start with the application, and then we kind of work our way there. Uh, But I want you to know that at the end of today's message, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to invite uh, somebody, anybody, uh, really anyone who's here today, uh, to be baptized. I'm actually going to invite you to do that. So over here, um, you might see that there is, um, pretty sure that's a horse trough. Uh, but that is, uh, we, we call it our baptismal. And, um, but that is, uh, uh, when, we, when, we, when people make a decision for Christ uh, and they decide to follow him, often what you see is that they're baptized. And so that is what I'm going to invite some of you to do today. I'm going to invite you to get baptized. I know for some of you, that was not on your agenda when you woke up this morning. That wasn't something that you had contemplated or considering doing. And maybe even for you, there's a whole myriad of questions as far as logistics. And that's fine. I'll talk about that later. But my hope is that what you're going to see is this, that you're going to see by the end of today's message that the most biblical and the most loving application that I can give to you in light of what we're going to see in the book of Acts today is that you be baptized, okay? And so I feel like I would be remiss if I did not give you an opportunity to take action on the things that we're going to be hearing uh, here today, all right? So that's what we're going to do. So even right now, um, as we jump into today's message, can I just start by praying for us? I'm going to pray for you. And if you're a person who maybe your next step of obedience to Jesus is that you, you need to be baptized, I would ask that maybe you would open your heart, that God would make you courageous, and that he would give you the boldness to take that step if that's you. All right, so let's pray, and then I'll explain to you where I'm getting this from. So let's pray. Well, Jesus, we wanna come before you today, and as we approach your word, and as we approach the things that you have given us to instruct us on what it means to live for you, I pray, God, that you would help us not to just be mere hearers of your word. Help us to take action, to be doers of your word. And so if there's maybe even someone who's here today that their next step of faith and obedience to you is that they be baptized, I pray that you'd make that very clear to them and that they would have the courage to take that step. And for all of us, for all of us, help us, Lord, not just to be hearers, but to be people who wanna take action on what we're hearing from you. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just wanna tell you, I really plan on all of that Uh, But the reason that we decided to do this is kind of last minute was, again, because I'm convinced that this is the most loving and the most biblical response to what I'm going to show you, what we're going to look at today. You might be saying, well, what is that we're going to look at today? Well, today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the different responses to the message of the gospel. So uh, some of you are new here. Maybe it's your first time at Grace. You're just joining us. Uh, Over the past few weeks, what we've been doing here at Grace is we're actually in a series where we're looking together, spending several weeks looking at the book of Acts. And here's what we said. We said the book of Acts is actually a really important book. The book of Acts actually covers about a 30-year period of time, and it covers the 30 years, the first 30 years after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so here's why we said Acts is so important. We said Acts is going to help us rediscover some things about Christianity. We said that Acts is going to help us rediscover the message Uh, What is the message that Jesus originally gave to his original followers? What is the original message of Christianity? Uh, Acts is going to help us understand the mission of Jesus. What is the mission that Jesus has sent his followers on? 
And then Acts is going to help us rediscover the method. How does Jesus want his followers to engage and enact his message and his mission on this earth? We said Acts is going to help us with that. So for the past four weeks, we have been talking all about the message. That's what we've been focusing on. And we've been obsessed with this question. Here's the question we've been asking. What was the original message of Christianity? What is and what was the original message of Christianity? What was the message that Jesus originally gave to his followers back in the first century that utterly uh, turned the ancient world on its head? Uh, what was the message that Jesus gave to his followers that, that caused an explosive movement that has spanned over 2,000 years and has even spanned the globe to where we are today? What was that message and what wasn't that message? And another question is, have we drifted from that message? How do we return back to the original message of Christianity? So we've been spending the last four weeks, we said Acts is a great place to go. Here's what we found. We said, when you go through the book of Acts, like we said, it covers 30 years, you're actually gonna see that there are multiple presentations of the message, we call it the gospel, that you're gonna see in the book of Acts. I thought this was kind of mind-blowing. Did you know in the book of Acts, there are 10 full sermons or full speeches that are given that are declarations of the message? These speeches are given by different people in different times, in different places, and even different countries. And then what we also see in the book of Acts is there's over 30 summary speeches, 30 summarizations of the message of the gospel. And what that means is we have over 40 examples to compare and to contrast to try to figure out what was the core message that these Christians proclaimed and they believed. This blew me away. Did you know that over a third of the book of Acts is dedicated to helping us understand this message, the message of the gospel? What exactly is that? And so I think this is important because what it tells us, what Acts, I think, is trying to tell us, Acts is trying to tell us what exactly was the original message that these, Christ, these Christians believed and they proclaimed. So over the past four weeks, we actually spent a lot of time comparing and contrasting these different speeches and these different presentations. We said, what do they have in common? What is different about them? And how do we really, in a, in a, in a, in a clear way, understand what that message was? I would encourage you, by the way, if you missed any of the last four weeks of this message, I think it would be very, very helpful for you to go back and listen to those. We've gained a lot of clarity on what the gospel is and maybe some things about what the gospel is not. But today, what I wanna do is I wanna end our time, or I wanna end kind of this portion of uh, the Acts series that we're in by talking about uh, what were the responses. When you look at the book of Acts, when the gospel is presented, when this message is proclaimed, how do people react and how do people respond? And here's what I'm really hoping you're gonna see today at our time. What you're gonna see is that the message of the gospel demands a response. It demands a response. What you're gonna see in Acts is that when this message is clearly and accurately brought to people, that it is going to demand a response. When people understand what is being proclaimed, when people understand and when it's, when it's communicated accurately, what kind of response is that gonna have? And I want, to, I want you to see in the book of Acts that every time the gospel is proclaimed, it elicits a major reaction. But it's not always the same response and it's not always the same reaction. As I was studying and preparing for this message, I actually noticed, and I kind of started to categorize it, I think that there's four different categories or four camps of the way that people tend to respond when they hear the gospel. So let me show them to you. So I think what you're gonna see in the book of Acts is that some people, when they hear the message presented accurately and clearly, their response is that they are curious, that they're interested, that they wanna hear more, that it strikes them as something that's fascinating. 
For some people, when they hear the message of the gospel and they understand it, they deem it as crazy. This is crazy. You guys are nuts. Some people, when they hear the message of the gospel, they actually don't just think it's crazy. They actually think it's criminal. This message is actually harmful and it's hurtful and it needs to be silenced at all costs. And some people, when they hear and they believe the gospel, they're cut to the heart, they're convicted and convinced it's true, and they're baptized, and they're baptized. So um, here's kind of the game plan for today. My hope is that we can look at these different responses throughout the book of Acts. I'm actually gonna take you to a number of different passages in the book of Acts. So usually here at Grace, we have you turn to one passage of the Bible and we just kind of camp out in one spot for the whole message. Um, But we're actually gonna do something a little bit different today. And I'm gonna take you to a few different passages in Acts as we look at these different responses. But let me just say, if if you want to anchor yourself in one passage, I'll put all the passages on the screen, but if you wanna anchor yourself in one passage, the one I would encourage you to turn to is actually Acts 17. So in Acts 17, if you wanna get there in your Bible, I think that in this passage, at the end of Acts 17 and the beginning of Acts 18, you're gonna see all four examples of what I just talked about. You're gonna see all four examples of these responses. So Acts 17, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, or if you have the Acts study journals, if you have one of those, get to Acts 17. If you need to use one of the Bibles under the chairs that we have for you, page 900, is where you're gonna find Acts 17. And we say this all the time, but I just wanna say it again. If you do not own a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. So you can take one of those under the chairs, take that home with you, make it a gift from us to you. So Acts 17. And again, here's what I think you're gonna see today, that when the gospel is clearly and is accurately presented, it is going to demand a response. The four responses I just showed you, I believe these are not just responses that happened back in the book of Acts. I think that these are responses that continue to happen today when people hear the message of the gospel. So let's think about them together. The first one I want you to notice is that when some people hear the gospel, their response is that they're curious, they're interested, they want to hear more. So I'll give you an example right there in Acts 17. You guys have it in front of you. I want you to notice at the end of Acts 17 in verse 32, and if you were here last week, uh, you probably remember a little bit of the context. Pastor Kevin was talking about this. In Acts 17, you have this guy named the Apostle Paul, and he's preaching to a group of people in a place in in Athens. And as he's preaching, he's talking to uh, actually some really intellectual people. He's talking to philosophers and Stoics, and he's presenting the message of the gospel. He's telling them the message of the gospel. And look at their response. The Bible says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we wanna hear you on this, we wanna hear you again on this subject. So you can see, for some of them, their response, when they heard this message of the gospel, was that it was intriguing to them. They didn't fully understand it, they didn't fully agree with it, but they were at a place where it was compelling and they wanted to hear more. I actually see, I'll give you one more example. You see another response like this in Acts 13. The apostle Paul and his companion, one of his traveling companions, a guy by the name of Barnabas, were preaching at a synagogue. And the Bible says that they're presenting the gospel to a group of Jews. And as they do that, the Bible says when they were done, the people invited them to come back and speak about these things on the next Sabbath. And then look what happens. It says on the next Sabbath, the next week, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And so what do you see? Again, here's what you see, is that when the gospel is preached, that what happens is some people are curious. Some people are intrigued. I wanna hear more about this. Can you come back and tell me more about this message that you're proclaiming? For some people, it it creates a burning curiosity. Now, I think, uh, by the way, on this point, 
I think we can just make some direct application. I think that this continues to be true, that when the gospel is preached, for some people, the first response is that they're very curious about that message. In fact, my guess is that maybe even for some of you uh, who are here this morning or for some of you who are watching online, you might put yourself in that camp. If I asked you this morning, are you a follower of Jesus? You might tell me, I don't know if I would put it that way. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I would consider myself a follower of Jesus. But you might say this. You might say, but I'm curious. I'm interested. I'm fascinated. And maybe even for you, maybe you've been coming to Grace for a few weeks or maybe even a year or more, or maybe you've been coming to a life group, or maybe this is your first time here. But maybe part of what brought you here is that you don't necessarily fully understand everything yet. You don't even know if you fully agree with everything that you hear or everything that we say. But there's something about it that's compelling to you and, and you're interested. And even though there's times that maybe even here at church, we say things and you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I understand that. I'm not even sure what that means. But you just keep wanting to hear more. You, you, you're investigating, you're exploring Christianity. Can I just say, by the way, if that's you, and, and I mean, man, we, we say this all the time, but I just, I gotta say it again that if you're a person who is exploring or investigating Christianity, we count it such a high, high, high honor that you would let us be part of that investigation. You could do anything else with your time, but the fact that you're here, we consider ourselves very lucky that you would let us be part of that. But can I encourage you, if that is you, I just wanna give you one, if you'd let me, I just wanna give you one practical encouragement, and that would be this. I would encourage you not to take that investigation passively. I would actually encourage you to be very active in your exploration and in your curiosity about the things of Jesus. Because I think it's the most important thing, the most important question that you can seek answers to. So my encouragement to you would be to keep coming, keep going to life group, keep talking to the friend that you came with. Here be my encouragement to you. Do not be afraid to vocalize the doubts that you have. Do not be afraid to raise the questions that are still lingering and to look for responses to those questions. I don't want you to be afraid to do that. And, um, and again, the reason is because I think it's the most important question that is to be answered. But here's what I want you to see. In the book of Acts, this first response of being curious, this first response is the most short-lived response of them all. Usually people are curious, they go to find answers, they get the answers, and very quickly they move to one of the next categories. And what are the next categories? Well, that brings me to the second one. Some people, when they hear the message of gospel, they think it's crazy. When people hear the message and they understand what is being proclaimed, what is being, you know, uh, what is being presented, some people hear it and understand it, and their response is, this is nuts. You guys are crazy. Uh, give you a couple examples right out of the book of Acts. Uh, here's one, Acts 17. Once again, when they heard about the resurrection, it says that them, that these were, the, of course, the people of Athens, that some of them sneered. Some of them sneered. Now, what does that mean? It's not like a word we use very often. Some of you have different translations. It might say they scoffed at them. Uh, the word literally means to mock. It's to laugh at something with contempt. It basically is to say, that's, that's dumb. That's foolish. That's how could anyone ever believe that? That is so stupid. And that is the response that some people have when they hear the mention of the gospel. They actually see something similar in uh, Acts 26. The Bible's gonna tell us that the apostle Paul was actually standing before uh, a guy named Festus. How about that name? Festus. You guys looking for baby names? Festus, right? So you got, he's standing before this guy named Festus and this other guy named King Agrippa. Uh, these guys were actually, uh, they're pretty, they pretty heavyweight political and religious leaders at that time. 
And I want you to notice what happens. Paul is boldly proclaiming the gospel. He's speaking the message to them. And the Bible says that when Paul mentioned the resurrection, Festus interrupted Paul. And he said, you're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. So in other words, Festus, as Paul is talking, he's like, Paul, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're spending way too much time alone in your books with your cats, and you've gone nuts, and someone needs to help level set you. And that's what he says. Now, now I want you to notice, what was it about the gospel? Do you notice in both cases? What was it about the gospel that caused them to say, you're crazy? Do you notice what it is? In both cases, it's the resurrection. It is the re- Now, here's why that's so important. If you're with us a few weeks ago, you, you probably remember this. We said that when you compare the different speeches and presentations and acts, you're going to find there's some differences, but there is one undisputed center. There is one thing that every declaration of the gospel has in 100% um, uh, unanimous agreement, and it's this. The undisputed center of the message of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every presentation talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's why we said that that's so important. Because it tells us that the central message of Christianity is not foundationally about a code of ethics. Some people think that. Some people think, well, Christianity, it's about a code of ethics, or it's about, it's about a set of values or principles. It's about being a good person and living a certain kind of lifestyle. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I want you to understand, yeah, Christianity includes some of those things, but that is not the foundation that Christianity is built upon. Christianity is built upon the claim that the person Jesus Christ literally, literally, historically, and bodily died and then rose from the dead. Here's what we said uh, a couple weeks ago. We said, if you have no resurrection, if you have no resurrection, you have no Christianity. It goes away. The whole message is, is, is hinging on and is built upon the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. And I want you to understand that when you say that, when people understand that that's what we're saying, when people understand that that's what we Christians are really claiming, that there's a man who rose from the dead, a lot of times the first response is that that's gonna sound crazy to some people. And that makes sense. Because let's be honest, it's a little bit crazy to think that a man literally and historically rose from the dead. And yet, this is the message that the first Christians hinged their life on. And this is the message that they proclaimed, that they actually tried to convince the world was true. What you notice right here in this passage, notice what he says. He says, you're crazy, Paul. And Paul says, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is, now notice this, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. Now, how could he say that? What does he mean by that? What I am saying about the resurrection is true and it is reasonable. Why is it true and reasonable? He says, well, the king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him because I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because look at this, it was not done in a corner. Now, what's he saying there? Here's what Paul's saying. There's evidence. It's not crazy to think. It's, tr- it's true and it's reasonable. Why? Because it wasn't done in secret. It wasn't done in a closet. He says, man, the king, King Agrippa, would have heard of these things. He would have known witnesses, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about this a lot at Grace. You guys, there is an unbelievable amount of historical evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet for some people, for some people, the mention of Jesus raising from the dead is so crazy that they can't get past it. So some hear the message of the gospel, they're curious. Some hear the message of the gospel, they think it's crazy. 
Some people hear the message of the gospel and they don't just think it's crazy, they actually think it's criminal. They think it's criminal. Some people hear the message of the gospel and they don't just think this message is crazy and needs to be ignored. They think this message is criminal and it needs to, and it needs to be resisted. So I'll show you a couple examples. You guys have Acts 17 in front of you. If you just jump uh, just a few verses ahead in, verse eight, in uh, chapter 18, I want you to notice what happens. In verse five, it says that Paul devoted himself to preaching this message, preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And as he did that, the Bible says that they, were, uh, that they began to oppose Paul and even became abusive towards Paul. So again, you're gonna see that for some people when they hear the message of the gospel, that they, they don't just view this as something that's crazy. They actually view this as something that's hurtful and is harmful to people that it's a threat and it needs to be silenced at all costs. And sometimes that cost means even physical abuse. Now, sadly, this is actually a very common response in the book of Acts. It's a very common response, that when people hear the message of the gospel, they view it as something that needs to be silenced at all costs. And what I want you to understand is that that's not just true in the book of Acts. If you look at history, the last 2,000 years, and even in our world today in some places, you will see that one of the responses to the gospel is that some people will view it as something that is hurtful and is harmful and is something that needs to be silenced at all costs. I'll give you a couple other examples. Look at Acts chapter four. It says, as Peter was preaching, the priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. By the way, that group of people are basically religious and political leaders. It says, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail until the next day. So I want you to notice for them, when they heard the proclamation of the gospel and their assessment, they said, this is a dangerous message. This is a threat to the religious system. This is a threat to society. And these men need to be silenced. This is criminal. They need to be jailed for the message that they're proclaiming. You're gonna see a very similar response in Acts 5. Acts chapter five, a very similar group. It says, when they heard the message of the gospel, they were furious and they wanted to put these guys to death. So they called the apostles in and they had them flogged and beaten. And then they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus anymore. So you see, once again, what do they say? They say, this message needs to be silenced. This message needs to be quieted. Don't ever talk about Jesus again. In Acts seven, Acts chapter seven, Colin was preaching on this a couple weeks ago. Um, you guys might remember a guy named Stephen gets up and he preaches the gospel to a whole group of people. And how do they respond at the end of his message? Look at the end of Acts chapter seven. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I've always wondered what that looks like to gnash your teeth. I don't, I, I guess, what, is, what do you think that looks like? I'm like, I don't even know. Like, have you ever gnashed your teeth at somebody? I don't know. So, why don't you turn to the person next to you and... Show them what you think it looks like to gnash your, I don't know, give me your best teeth gnashing. Anyway, I think the point is, I think the point is they were, they were upset. They were upset. And, and you guys, look at this. They gnashed their teeth at him and he kept preaching. And as he kept preaching, they covered their ears and started yelling at the top of their voices. They're like, la, 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 not hearing it. And then they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. That's a strong response. In Acts 22, as Paul is preaching the message, it says that they raised their voices, the crowd, and they said, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. These are some strong responses. This message, the message of the gospel, demands a response. 
And one of the responses is that there is vehement rejection of this message. Now, I think the question this should force us to ask is, what was it about that message that was so offensive that it caused people to even want to kill them for it? And listen, we, we talked about this in the past weeks, but I think it's this, that yes, in one hand, the gospel, the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose from the dead, that is a life-giving message that is, it is, it is extraordinary good news for us. But at the same time, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the message of the gospel is at the same time, it says something very, very, very offensive to many people. Because the gospel says something personally convicting. The gospel says that, yes, Jesus died for our sins, but it also says that it was our sins, that we are all sinners, and that we need to be saved, that we need a savior. And that message, the message that we cannot save ourselves and that we are guilty because of our sin and that we need someone to save us has never been a popular message to some people. In addition to that, we talked about this. The gospel says something that is decisively exclusive. The gospel says that, yes, Jesus died for my sins, but it also says that Jesus is the only one who can forgive me of my sins. The gospel says that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but it also says that he is the only one who has conquered death, and he is the only way to have a right relationship with him. That kind of exclusivity has been and continues to be very offensive to many people. And so for some, they say this message is criminal. Now, of course, I think we all know this. In our country today, we live in a society where I thank God people aren't, people aren't you know, stoned, and we don't, well, they are, but in a different way. But people aren't stoned to death, right? People get stoned, but they aren't stoned by people uh, as much anymore, which is good, which is a good thing. However, I think, I think it's pretty clear that this continues to be a response to the gospel. We all know this. In our society, the presentation of the gospel for some people is one that is viewed as not good news. It is viewed as hurtful. It is viewed as harmful. It is viewed as bigoted. It is viewed as regressive. It is viewed as antiquated, as anti-progress. It is viewed as keeping us back. And so because of that, there are some people who say this message needs to be silenced at all costs. This message needs to be shut out of the school systems. This, means, this message needs to be eradicated from the political conversations. This, that the gospel is something that is threatening to society. And you guys, here's what I want you to understand. If you're a follower of Jesus, what Acts is telling us is that's not just something that can happen. That's something that does happen when the gospel is preached. That's not new. That has been happening since the very beginning of the proclamation of the gospel. So some people will view it as something that is criminal, as something that is offensive. But what you're gonna see is that for some people, when they hear this message, the message of the gospel, the response is that they believe it and they're convinced that it's true. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they're convinced that it's true. And God opens their heart and they're cut to the heart. And as a response to that, they're baptized. I told you guys earlier that I'm convinced that the most biblical and loving response for some of you to this message is for me to invite you to get baptized. And let me tell you how I got there. Like I said, I, wasn't, I actually wasn't planning on doing this, but a couple weeks ago, I was reading the book of Acts and I was looking at the different responses and I was surveying it. And as I was looking at the responses to the gospel, when people choose to believe the gospel, can I just tell you, when I was studying it, I was blown away. I was blown away that unanimously, at least in, in my survey of the book of Acts, unanimously, when a person chooses to believe this message, 
their first response after they believe the message is that they're baptized. They're back, can I just, I'll just show you a few. I'll give you a few. I won't overwhelm you. Let me just give you a few examples of this. Acts 18 says this guy Crispus. <laughs> There's another name for you. Crispus. This reminds me like of a, I don't know, like a box of cereal or something. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed. And what happened after they believed they were baptized? They were baptized. Acts 2. The Bible says that when the people heard the message of the gospel, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. That means they were deeply convicted. They were convinced that it was true. And they asked Peter, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with that? And Peter gave him an answer. He said, if you feel cut to the heart, you should repent. Repent, by the way, it just means to turn around. Stop, stop going the way that you were going and turn to Jesus and be baptized. And the Bible says that that day, those who accepted this message were baptized. You're gonna see it again, over and over again. I'll give you this example right in the middle. Acts 8, the Bible tells us that there's this guy, Philip, and he's talking to this Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says that the Ethiopian eunuch is spiritually seeking. And so Philip shares the gospel with him the Ethiopian eunuch believes it. He's cut to the heart and he believes. And guess what he does right after he's cut to the heart and he believes? He says, look, here's some water. What's gonna stand in the way of me being baptized? You know what Philip says? He says, you gotta take a class, man. <laughs> no, he says, there's water. Let's do this. And he's baptized right there on the spot. I want you to show you something else here. Acts 16, this one. There's a woman named Lydia. And the Bible says that as Paul was preaching, I love how it says it, the Lord opened her heart. And you guys, that's what has to happen with this message. The Lord has to open your heart. She's cut to the heart and she believes. And what happens? She's baptized, her and her household. The Bible's gonna say in Acts 16, a jailer was convinced that this message was true. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then immediately, right there, it says that they were baptized as a response to that. In Acts 22, Paul's gonna say, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized, even right now as a response. And so you guys, I just want you to know, I'll give you more examples than this. In my count, over a dozen times in the book of Acts, when people decide to respond to the message of the gospel in belief, you're gonna see that as a result of their belief, as in an action of their belief, that they take a step and they are being baptized. That happens over and over again. So my hope is that what you're seeing as we're surveying the book of Acts here today is that this message, the message of the gospel, demands a response. Some people find it curious. Some people find it crazy. Some people find it criminal. Some people are cut to the heart and they're baptized. But I want you to notice that in this list of C words that I put together, that one of the words that doesn't make the list is casual. People don't respond to this message casually. When the message of the gospel is clearly and accurately presented, it always demands a response, and it's never lukewarm. It's either burning curiosity, it is ice-cold dismissal, it is heated rejection, or it is passionate surrender. I'm all in for Jesus. And so I think because of that, I just have two applications for us, and then I'm gonna invite some of you guys to get baptized. So you know the two applications. You know one of the applications. One of the applications is, I'm going to invite some of you to get baptized. And I'll talk about that here in a second. But here's, here's the first application. For those of us who are followers of Christ in this room, and I know that's not everybody. Not everyone's a follower of Jesus here. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, 
Listen, we need to understand that this message, the message of the gospel, is the one that we have been given to proclaim to the world. And here's what I hope that you see in the book of Acts. I think the book of Acts is telling us that we should never be surprised or dissuaded when we encounter these responses. When the gospel goes forward and when it is, when it is accurately and when it is clearly proclaimed, it will produce these, these different responses. And I think for those of us who follow Christ, we just need to know that. We need to be aware of that. that that's gonna, now, I'm not, now, hear me, I'm not saying that means that we should be jerks. And I'm not saying that means we should be purposely offensive or purposefully abrasive. Listen, there is no excuse for a follower of Jesus being a jerk. There's none. We, like Kevin talked about last week, when we proclaim this message, we should be thoughtful. We should be good listeners. We should be gentle. We should be respectful. We should be very considerate of where a person is coming from. We must be. There's no excuse for Christians being a jerk. However, at the same time, if you are clearly presenting this message, some people are gonna be curious. Some people will think you're crazy. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when they will. Some of you are experiencing this right now. You have family members that think you're nuts because of what you believe about Jesus Christ. Some of you will experience that. And I want you to understand that's not always because you're doing something wrong. Sometimes it's because you're doing something very right. For some of you, when you proclaim this message, some people are gonna think that you are a bigot. Some people are gonna call, call you criminal for hurtful and harmful. I just want you to know that some of that is to be expected. It doesn't mean we get a pass to be a jerk, but it means that if the gospel is going out, that that is one of the responses. My encouragement would be that I think for those of us who follow Christ, we should continue to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. And why is that? Because for some people, they're cut to the heart. And I believe what Romans 1 says, and my, my hope is for those of us who follow Jesus that we would echo Romans 1. Romans 1 says this. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And for some people, you guys, I don't know why God did it this way, but God wants to use you and he wants to use me. And he wants to use our flawed proclamation of this gospel to bring people back to himself. And so we can have confidence that he's doing that. So can I give you a really practical, one, one just very practical application for those of us who follow Christ here? I think for those of us who follow Jesus, every time you hear the gospel being proclaimed, whether it's by your pastor or a life group leader or by yourself or by a friend, or even if you hear it on the radio, I think our response should be this. For those of us who follow Jesus, I believe we should pray immediately. Pray immediately. Sometimes we're tempted to tune out the gospel because it's familiar to us and we think, I already know that, but I think we need to take a different position and we need to say, no, I need to pray because somebody is hearing this. That God would cut them to the heart. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, can I just actually call on you right now? Would you pray? Would you pray right now because of the second application. And that's this, for some of you, if you are cut to the heart, if you've been cut to the heart and you believe this message to be true and you've never been baptized, I think you need to be baptized. I think you need to be baptized. If, if you have been coming here for the past few weeks and you have heard us clearly explain the gospel and for whatever reason it has cut you to the heart and you're convinced that it's true, you might be asking, what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do? Here's my, here's my answer to you. You should believe it and you should get baptized. You should believe it 
and you should get baptized. I think that's the response. If you're a person who has just heard the gospel today, some of you maybe weren't here the past four weeks, and you might be saying, you keep talking about the gospel, the gospel, what exactly is that? And so let me just see if I can, again, if I can just as clearly as I know how to put it, as succinctly as I know how to put it, when you look at the book of Acts, here it is. Here's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is this. God exists. That suspicion that's deep inside of you of, of this draw that's inside of you that says, is there a God? There is a God. He exists. And here's the truth. This God who created you and this God who created all things, he loves you. He loves you. But the gospel is gonna say that we've all sinned. All of us are sinners. We have all in some way or another have walked away from God. And as a result of that, because of our sin and because of our guilt, we are all guilty. There is now distance between us and God. We are not in a right relationship with him. We have been separated from him because of our sin. But God loves us so much. He loves you too much that he didn't leave things that way. God did everything in his power, everything to make a bridge to create a way for us to have a relationship with again. The Bible's gonna tell us that God literally spanned heaven and earth. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came in real time, in real space, in real history. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he died on the cross. And he died on the cross in our place for our sins. It was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. But listen, it was God's plan all along. This plan that God had spans all the way back to the pages of the Old Testament. God promised that this Jesus would come and that he would be the way that we have a right relationship with him. And this Jesus who died, he then rose from the dead, physically, bodily, historically, rose from the dead three days later. And because of that, that makes him unique over every other human being in human history. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he was affirmed to be God's way to salvation. And now if we put our trust in him, he is the only one who is the rightful and qualified leader of our life. And I just want to tell you that as simply as I know how to put it, you could probably add some stuff to that, but as simply as I know how to put it, that is the message that the early church proclaimed. That is the message of Christianity. And some are curious about it, and some think it crazy, and some think it criminal, but some of us know it's true. And it's our hope. It's the hope of salvation. So if that's you, if you're someone who needs to get baptized, I want to help you know what you're doing. So let me just answer two quick questions, and then we'll get right to it. So two questions. Number one, what is baptism? So you might be saying, what is baptism? And the second one is who should get baptized? Who? So you might be asking, should I get baptized? So let me help you think through this a little bit. What is baptism? I don't know if you guys ever think about how weird it is. It is kind of weird that when a person decides they're going to follow Jesus, that the first thing that we have them do is get dunked in water. Like, I'm like, that just seems really bizarre if you really stop and think about it. But I want you to know it's actually a very deep and meaningful uh, it's a very deep and meaningful symbol. And so baptism, let, let me tell you first what it's not, just to be very clear. Baptism does not save you. It doesn't save you. It's not like if you're not baptized, you can't be saved. That's not true at all. The, the book of Ephesians is really clear. It says that we are saved by grace through faith alone, not by works. So there's no work that we do that saves us. It's all about what Jesus has done. However, and this is what I hope you've seen today in the book of Acts, Whenever someone believes in Christ, their first step of obedience, their first step of identification with Jesus is that they are baptized, that they are baptized in water. And so what is that? Well, the word baptism 
actually comes from the Greek word, which literally just means to immerse. It means to immerse. And actually, it's the same word that's used. I think this is a really helpful metaphor. It's the same word that's used for a person who is dyeing a piece of fabric. So I want you to get that picture in your mind. It's a really helpful picture. Imagine you have a white cloth and you're trying to dye it blue. So what do you do? You take it and you immerse it. You submerge it into the dye. And now what happens? What happens is that what's true about that dye now becomes true about that cloth, becomes true about that fabric. It is immersed into that fabric. There is now no separation. So the cloth is taking on a new identity. It is being immersed into a new story. That's what's happening in baptism. And so what is baptism? Here's what it is. Baptism is you saying, I am going all in for Jesus. Every area of my life, every fabric of my being, I'm inviting Jesus to come and be the leader of my life. Here at Grace, when we baptize people, we baptize them three times. You'll, you'll see us do that here. Some of you might say, why do you do it three times? That's, that's fascinating to me. The reason we do it three times is because of something we, we see that Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 28, when we baptize, we should baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I know for some of us, that's like, that, that might sound really confusing. Like, what does it mean to be baptized in the name of somebody? What does that even mean? So again, let me just see if I can help demystify this a little bit. What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father? Uh, to be baptized in the name of the Father means that you are immersing yourself in the family of Jesus. In other words, what you're doing is you're saying, I am taking on a new identity. That because of Jesus's death and because of his resurrection, I see now that my sins have been forgiven which were keeping me from God, and I now have a new standing with him. I am now his son and, or his daughter, and he is my father. I am taking on a new identity as one of his children and as part of his family. We're baptized in the name of the Father. We baptize in the name of the Son. What's that mean? It means that we are being immersed into the story of Jesus, that we are now saying that what happened to Jesus is not just a cold historical fact. It is a personal reality that impacts my life. Uh, Romans 6 says it this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the new life. You, know, you see what he's saying there? He's saying when we're baptized, we are identifying ourselves with the story of Jesus. We are orienting our lives to that narrative. That when Jesus, in the same way that Jesus died and he was buried, I'm proclaiming that I too, that my sins have been, have been eradicated and cleansed through Jesus's death. And that as Jesus rose into new life, so I am raising into a new life. Christ gives me new life and I live by that. I'm identifying with that story. And then to be baptized in the name of the Son or in the Spirit. That is to be immersed in the mission of Jesus. In other words, what you're saying is you're saying that I am giving my life to the agenda of God. I'm not just asking God to bless my life and to meet me in my agenda. I'm actually laying down my agenda and I'm saying, God, I am yours. And Lord, you lead me. You're the king of my life. That's what we invite people to do. So lastly, who should get baptized? And with this, I wanna invite the band to come up. Who should get baptized? Well, if I could just answer this as quickly as I can, because some of you might be saying, should I get baptized? So let me just answer this as, as clearly and as simply as I know how to. Here's who should get baptized. According to scripture, if you believe this message, if you believe that Jesus died for you and he rose and you wanna surrender your life to that and you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. There it is. For some of you, you have come to believe that message in the last 40 minutes. You should be baptized. 
For some of you, you have come to believe that message over the past four weeks. You've been coming to grace and somewhere along the way, God has convicted your heart and you found it to be true. And you're saying, what should I do with that? Here's what you should do. You should be baptized. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time and you've never been baptized. You should be baptized. You should be baptized. I have some people, sometimes they, I have people talk to me sometimes and they'll say, man, I've been following Jesus my whole life. I'll say, that's great. I'll say, have you ever been baptized? And they say, I've, I've never been baptized before. And, and I always ask the question, oh, why not? Why haven't you been baptized? And it's interesting, a very common response I get from people is this. People will tell me, well, I just, I'm, I just don't think I'm ready yet. Just kind of waiting for the right moment to get baptized. And my response to that, with all, with all due respect, is that when I'm looking at the Bible and I'm looking at what scripture says, there's a piece of me that's going, do you follow Jesus? Yes. Do you believe he died for you? Yes. Do you believe he rose for you? Yes. You're ready. You're ready. According to scripture, you're ready. And I think that one of the best things you could do is follow Christ in obedience and be baptized. Now, some of you might be saying, but uh, I have been baptized, but when I was baptized, I was a baby. So do I need to be baptized again if I'm not a baby? So again, let me try to answer that as, as biblically as I can. Okay, so according to the pattern of scripture, baptism is 100% every single time in scripture, it is a response to someone's belief in the gospel. That's what it is. And so I would just say that if you were baptized as a baby, um, I think here's, here's what I think is true. I don't think that baptism is a decision that someone could make for you, not, not scripturally. And so I just wanna say that if you were baptized as a baby, I would instruct you to yes, that if you haven't been baptized as a believer, as someone who has said, yes, I choose to follow Jesus, I think the pattern of the scripture says that you should be baptized. And so whoever that might be, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right here and right now. Now, I know there's a lot of logistical questions that might be going through your mind. When we talk about baptism, for some of you, you're like, do you mean like get baptized in what I have right now, like the clothes that I'm wearing? And no, over the past couple of weeks, our team was able to pull some stuff together. We have some clothes out here for you to get changed into. If you need to take that step of obedience, you can do that. I'll tell you how to do that here in just a moment. But I know for some of you, even during today's talk, as I started, you, you've just felt, you felt like you know that this is the next step of obedience for you, that you need to be baptized. And I just wanna be clear right now that, that if no one comes up and gets baptized during this, if no one does that, if, if, if everyone in here has been baptized or it's not time for you to get baptized, I want you to know that doesn't offend me. I'm not embarrassed if nobody comes up. Don't get baptized because you feel guilted or because you feel bad. Don't do that. That's not why you get baptized. And so if, if no one gets baptized, that's fine. We'll just sing some songs like we always do. We'll praise God and then uh, we'll be dismissed. That's what we'll do. But I need you to know that for some of you, this is the next step of obedience that you need to take to Jesus. And I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't give you a chance to take that step today. And so I wanted to provide that step for you to take that step. Now, I know for some of you, you, there's that stuff that's happening in your head. Some of you are like, I don't wanna be in front of a big group of people. Some of you are nervous about it. Some of you are like, I don't, I got so many questions. Some of you are thinking, man, but like my hair and like my, my makeup and I spent a lot of time on that. And, and I, listen, I get that. I totally get that. Um, well, not totally. I don't get the makeup part of it. I get the hair part of it. I get that, right? But if you let me, if you let me level with you for just a minute, Listen to me. We don't care about your hair. I mean, we, you know, it's nice. It looks good. 
We spent time on it. Good, good job, right? But here, here's what I'm saying, you guys. We, what we care about, we care about your soul. What we care about more than any, and I'm, I mean this, you guys, what we care about more than anything is that you're following Jesus. We care about your obedience. And we want to help you obey him. That's what we're here for is to help you obey him. And so if you're ready to take that step, I'm gonna encourage you to do it. What's gonna happen is this, I'm gonna pray. After I'm done praying, I'm gonna invite us all to stand up. And if you are ready to get baptized, if you're ready to take that step, when I ask you to stand up without hesitation, immediately, I want you to walk over here. Colin is at the door. He'll meet you, he'll get you some clothes. We'll get you set up. We have some people back here who are willing to baptize you. If there is somebody who's been instrumental in helping you know Jesus and you want them to baptize you, grab them and take them with you and say, you baptize me, and they will do that. And we wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. All right, so let's pray. And then after I'm done, if you need to take that step, you take that step. Jesus, we wanna say thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of the gospel that is salvation. We know that this is a message that's gonna be met with a lot of different responses and continues to be met with a lot lot of different responses. And yet, somehow, through the power of your spirit, it is a message of salvation to those who believe. God, for those who maybe even right now are cut to the heart, they believe and they wanna go all in for you. I pray, Jesus, that in this next moment that you would help give them the courage and the confidence to take that step. So we praise you and we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.